Welcome to the ASA Podcast. Hi, my name's Beck Perry and I'm an editorial board member for Sonography. Today I'm talking with Richard Allwood, the author of two papers published in this issue of Sonography. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Rebecca. Uh, thanks for having me. I look forward to, to the discussion. Now, Richard, to date, you've published three case studies and a review on cardiac ultrasound in athletes with arrhythmogenic, I can't even say it, right ventricular cardiomyopathy, or ARVC, which is now known as arrhythmogenic cardiomyopathy, or ACM, to recognise the spectrum of this disease. This is a serious disease which may lead to sudden cardiac death, and young people and athletes may particularly be at risk. ACM is a difficult disease to diagnose because there's no single test that diagnoses it. In this podcast, I'd love to explore the role of cardiac ultrasound in ACM in athletes for our listeners. Firstly, how prevalent is ACM in the general population and the athletic population? Uh, Thanks, Rebecca. It is suggested that the estimated prevalence is between 1 in 1,000 to 1 in 5,000 persons which is based on a series of longitudinal registries over the past three decades. There is a higher disease prevalence and worse outcomes amongst men as compared to women, which men tend to have more frequent abnormal ECGs, worse biventricular disease, and higher rates of ventricular arrhythmias, which the role of sex hormones has been postulated, although some recent studies have suggested the prevalence among sexes is similar. ARVC accounts for about 4 to 22% of sudden cardiac deaths in athletes. In North American studies, competitive athletes were diagnosed with ARVC at a younger age, have worse structural disease, and have twice the risk of adverse events due to ventricular arrhythmias. While those gene-elusive individuals exhibit familiar influence, indicating potential undiscovered genotypes, with significant intense levels of physical activity leading to ARVC phenotype, particularly in those less than the age of 25 years old. Great. So the three cases that you've reported on include three different athletes. So a triathlete, a swimmer and a soccer player. The Padua criteria were used in all three cases to diagnose ACM. And these criteria use family history, ECG results and imaging, including echo and cardiac MRI. So how good is the Padua criteria in diagnosing ACM and does it perform as well in the athletic population as in the general population? Now, I ask this because we know that there are changes in the heart or remodelling that occurs in athletes and there may be diagnostic criteria that are indicative of ACM but also present in the normal heart of an athlete. Uh, Thanks, Rebecca. The diagnosis of ARVC is based on the presence of structural, histological, electrocardiographic and genetic factors according to the 2010 revised task force criteria. However, in 2020, the international criteria or Padua criteria was introduced with the aim of improving diagnosis of ACM phenotypes, which is now recognised as the disease as not only a, a right ventricular pathology, but characterised by a spectrum of biventricular abnormalities, including right-dominant, biventricular and left-dominant, with a key upgrade to the tissue characterisations by cardiac MRI. 
The 2010 task force criteria does not perform well in recognising biventricular or left-dominant variants. However, with the use of the Padua criteria, it raised further awareness of the of biventricular or left-dominant variants, improving diagnostic accuracy and characterisation of phenotypic variants. Although it is suggested further validation is still required with large clinical studies involving larger cohorts. In general, the diagnosis of ACM can be challenging, particularly with athletes, as, as athletic remodelling um, can overlap with path pathology consistent with ACM. A multimodality approach and high clinical suspicion to improving diagnostic confidence is needed, particularly in the early or concealed stage, with serial testing often required over time in some cases. It is important uh, to remember when investigating this condition, you need to understand the strengths and the weaknesses of each test involved in the criteria, but also to have an understanding of the potential discriminators or clues between physiological adaptation and pathology. Great. Great answer, Richard. That's excellent. So all three patients that you reported on had abnormalities in their ECG. Did they all have similar ECG findings? And what ECG features would alert you to the possibility of ACM? Thanks, Rebecca. That's a good question. I think the ECG is always an important point to start from and can provide clues which may help a sonographer in their examination. Interesting, a common finding in these patients was that they presented with low QRS voltage criteria, which is a little, which is a little unusual given their age, their younger age and athletic status. Knowledge of ECG findings may help to provide some insight into right ventricular or left ventricular involvement. In cases of ACM, this may raise the suspicion of a left dominant or biventricular phenotypes. But it is also important to consider the clinical context as other causes such as obesity, lung and pericardial disease may also show low QRS voltages. It is suggested that more than 85% of patients with traditional right dominant ACM have one or more characteristic ECG findings. However, up to 12% may have a normal ECG. Some common findings with ACM may include anterior T-wave inversion in the right precordial leads, which involves V1, 2 and 3, which can be accompanied by flat or depressed J-points. But this can be difficult to interpret in some situations, given the higher prevalence can be seen in black or female athletes and adolescents less than 16 years of age. However, it is reported that these repolarization changes are rarely found in isolation. Other findings to look out for may include incomplete or complete right bundle branch block, a slurred S-wave, which is prolonged terminal duration, activation, uh, epsilon wave, left axis deviation, poor R-wave progression, ventricular ectopy, of an uncommon focus and complex ventricular activity. A study by Maria Brosnan showed that T-wave inversion beyond V1 and or in the inferior leads, the presence of ventricular ectopy and voltage criteria for left ventricular hypertrophy less than 20 millimetres, distinguished physiology from pathology uh, with 81% accuracy considering the age, the sex and ethnicity of the patient and the athlete. Again, it is important to assess these findings in context to the athlete's exercise history 
this may involve considering the sport sporting discipline, their training volume or intensity, and the years of sport participation. And also in considering any symptoms or family history of sudden cardiac death or inherited cardiac disease. Wow, lots to consider. So ACM needs to be one of the considerations when scanning athletes with cardiac symptoms. So what 2D echo features should cardiac sonographers be on the lookout for and what measurements are important to perform? Uh, thanks, Rebecca. It is important to know that transthoracic echocardiography often serves as the first-line imaging technique for assessing cardiac structure and function. However, the echo does, not, does have a variable sensitivity and specificity for the diagnosis of ACM, particularly in the early stages of the disease. And with regards to athletes, echo parameters in the task force criteria have been found to be poor discriminators for distinguishing between physiological and pathological adaptation in athletes' heart and ARVC. It is recommended to use both conventional and advanced techniques, which may improve detection and risk stratification of ACM. Comprehensive assessment of left and right ventricular function is needed. Uh, looking at RV geometry and function should be assessed at several points, including right ventricular inflow, the body and outflow track regions. The use of on-axis and off-axis imaging is recommended. However, the use of longitudinal parameters alone for ARVC screening is poor. Typical measurements um, could involve using remodeling indexes. This may help um, improve some. May, this may help improve some insight into physiological or balanced remodeling in ARVC. These measurements may, may include right ventricular to left ventricular inflow ratio, which is typically less than one, right ventricular outflow track to right ventricular uh, basal ratio, which uh, looks at the outflow track versus the inflow track ratio, which is typically less than one, and looking at right ventricular uh, volume index to left ventricular, uh, to, sorry, right atrial volume index to left atrial volume index also may provide some insight into the remodeling but should be assessed relative to the left ventricular remodelling and an athlete's exercise history. A right ventricular to left ventricular ratio of less than or equal to 0.9 could provide, can be used as a parameter to distinguish between physiological remodelling and AAVC. Systolic parameters should also be assessed, which can include right ventricular fractional area change, the right ventricular S prime and also TAPSI. Right ventricular fractional area chain has limitations, although it is useful. It is a useful indicator of global right ventricular function. A value of less than or equal to 30% has been demonstrated in ARVC patients compared to athletes with high specificity. Another important factor is to consider wall motion abnormalities, which includes the assessment of right ventricular and left ventricular wall motion abnormalities by cardiac imaging, which plays a key component for. Uh, the diagnostic criteria. However, echo assessment can be difficult as qualitative assessment is subjective and reproducibility can be poor. Studies have shown that the diagnostic performance of the echo task force criteria can be improved with the use of 2D strain imaging instead of visual wall motion assessment. It's great that you mentioned strain imaging because what, what is the role of strain imaging here? 
Should it always be performed in athletes with cardiac symptoms? And do you have any tips for cardiac sonographers performing strain imaging in these patients? Good, good question, Rebecca. Strain imaging should always be performed as part of your assessment and can provide further clarification between physiology and pathology. 2D strain imaging has been identified as superior to traditional echo parameters for identifying ARVC and can provide clues to left ventricular involvement. It can quantify right ventricular and left ventricular regional and global systolic function and help exclude or facilitate the detection of subtle regional wall motion abnormalities, particularly in the early stages of ARVC or asymptomatic gene carriers. Several studies highlight the importance of biventricular assessment in patients suspected of or with ACM. Combining both deformation patterns and mechanical dispersion has shown to improve the sensitivity of identifying subclinical disease and the predictive value of risk stratification. Sorry, the predictive value for risk stratification. Some patterns may include regional patterns such as delayed onset of shortening, reduced peak systolic strain, and mild post-systolic shortening may be observed in early ACM phenotypes, which often present before fulfillment of electrical or structural 2010 task force criteria. In more severe phenotypes, you may see prominent systolic stretching, minimal systolic shortening, and more more pronounced post-systolic shortening have been identified and seen. In regards to tips, it's always important to have good quality 2D images, which are well optimised with appropriate gain and frame rate settings. Ensure your your region of interest is tracked appropriately, which can be a little bit difficult sometimes in larger ventricles, such as left or right ventricle, particularly the basal segment of the RV and in patients, particularly athletes with bradycardia. Yep, absolutely. Now, in one of the cases that you report, stress echo was used. So why was this performed? And do you have any tips for cardiac sonographers performing stress echo in these patients? Uh, Thanks, Rebecca. If your athlete um, has exertional symptoms, an exertional test should be performed. Exercise stress testing can can be used to help differentiate between patients with ARVC and between athletes. It has been suggested that exercise stress testing can enhance risk stratification and help guide exercise recommendations and follow-up in a more personalised fashion with individuals with symptomatic ACM or asymptomatic gene carriers. For example, a standard exercise stress test can be performed on a treadmill or an upright bike. You could also use a stress echocardiogram. Others may use a cardiopulmonary exercise stress test or we commonly use a combined cardiopulmonary exercise stress test and stress echocardiogram together. Protocols can vary according to the athlete and their sporting discipline and the clinical question being asked. The main purpose is to further assess the athlete's exercise capacity, their exertional symptoms and arrhythmia response. For example, do they have common or uncommon ventriculectomy or complex ventriculectomy induced? which can assist with risk stratification. Exercise stress echocardiography can be used to assess contractile reserve and the presence of exercise-induced regional wall motion abnormalities with athletes with right or left ventricular structural changes. 
Studies have shown that patients with ARVC, the majority have lower exercise capacity than athletes, also show increased ventricular burden and non-sustained ventricular tachycardia with exercise. They may experience exercise-induced symptoms and an attenuated blood pressure response. Andre Legersh has shown that focused RV assessment could identify athletes at risk of ventricular arrhythmias. With exercise-induced right ventricular dysfunction occurring in those who experienced ventricular arrhythmias, while healthy athletes did not. To specifically, ARV-focused views should be obtained from the forechamber, parasternal long axis, and sweep through the parasternal short axis, with the RV placed in the centre or the centre of your field of view, which can be done before or after you require your left ventricular images. What you're looking for is to assess right ventricular size, function, and the presence of regional wall motion abnormalities. Quantification can also be done by the use of strain and strain rate imaging, but you can also use right ventricular fractional area change, right ventricular S prime, and TAPSI as other methods as well. Similarly, in patients with left dominant variants, such as those with Desmond Parkin, we have seen similar results with poor left ventricular contractile reserve and left ventricular regional wall motion abnormalities and complex arrhythmias induced with exercise. Excellent. And of course, you're in for a long time when you've got an athlete on the treadmill, right, or on the bike. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as you mentioned before, ACM can be classified into the three phenotypes. So the dominant right variant with predominant RV involvement and no LV abnormalities, biventricular when there's equal involvement of both ventricles and the dominant left variant with predominant LV involvement. Now, all three cases that you've reported on were of the biventricular phenotype. Is there any data out there to tell us which is more common or do you have a sense of it from your own experience? What differences between the phenotypes will be seen on ECHO? Uh, Thanks, Rebecca. Uh, there is a wide um, disease spectrum uh, with incomplete and age-related penetrance. There can be marked variability in the underlying phenotype or the, what, or the structural disease that we see on an echo, which is characterised by left, right and biventricular disease variants. Phenotypic variability appears to be co- coordinate with genetic findings where AVC, ARVC is associated with a high proportion of PKP2 variants, whereas other subtypes are associated with more diverse genetic uh, variants, such as those with left ventricular disease, which may involve Desmoparkin. Traditionally, the natural history of ARVC consists of four phases, usually involves the subclinical concealed phase, the arrhythmic phase, progresses to right ventricular failure, and then to end stage of or biventricular disease. It suggested that biventricular involvement occurs in about 60% of ARVC cases. However, the most common gene variant, PKP2, occurs more commonly in traditional right-dominant disease. From my experience and from a histological, historical view, we probably saw more traditional right-dominant cases. But this is what we were taught to look for as a sonographer. In more recent times, we are seeing more cases diagnosed with biventricular or left-dominant disease, particularly with the improvement in genetic testing and cardiac MRI. 
literature has has also shown that some cases that have been diagnosed as myocarditis, dilated cardiomyopathy or cardiac sarcoidosis were misdiagnosed or diagnosis was delayed, particularly with ACM phenotypes with left ventricular involvement. From an echo point of view, a spectrum of findings can exist and are dependent on the gene variant and environmental factors such as exercise, which can affect the stage of the disease. Some findings for right ventricle to look out for may include right ventricular dilatation and regional wall motion abnormalities. They suggest this may commonly involve the right ventricular apex, anterior wall, and the inferior wall or subtricuspid region. Focal aneurysms, saculations or outpoaching is important to look for, and dilatation of the right ventricular outflow tract. You can also get hyperreflectile moderator band and trabecular dearrangement or prominence. Although the suggestion is that most common findings tend to be RV dilatation and RVOT dilatation. However, this can be a non-specific finding, particularly in the, if you're an athlete. With the left ventricle, the left ventricle has been identified in up to 87% of cases of ACM involvement with varying structural heart disease. This can involve the left ventricle having a normal size. It can be dilated. Can have low normal function or mildly decreased systolic function, with the presence of regional wall motion abnormalities and systolic uh, systolic strain abnormalities. They suggest that this may involve the regions of the infralateral segments, which may represent myocardial fibrosis or scarring of the epicardium. However, it is important to remember that on echo, we tend to see advanced structural changes that may be consistent with advanced disease. But some cases in echo may not show any right ventricular or left ventricular structural change or very subtle changes. A high degree of clinical suspicion and understanding of the clinical features and clues are needed for an appropriate diagnosis. So it's interesting that you mentioned the genetics at the beginning of your answer there, because in one of the cases you report, the female swimmer, there was no family history and no gene variants detected. So how do you explain this when ACM is recognised as a familial disease? That's a good question, Rebecca. As mentioned before, the disease is characterised by a variable penetrance and expressivity. So what that means is that there is a variation in the proportion of individuals that clinically are affected with ACM, the degree in which ACM is expressed within families and between families with the gene variant. ARC has been associated with a autosomal dominance, uh, sorry, an autosomal dominant pattern, although an autosomal recessive form is also seen. Affected individuals usually have one affected parent. It can be transmitted by a male or female. Pedigree charts may show multiple generations affected in some families. There is a 50% chance of ACM gene variant being passed to their child. However, some individuals can present for the first time, which may be called a de novo case, with no family history of the condition. Studies have also shown that at least one third of ARVC cases are gene elusive, as was the case, as was this case, which a pathogenic or likely pathogenic variant was not able to be identified at this point in time. A high proportion of these patients 
are high-level endurance athletes with no family history of ARVC, suggesting exercise could be a contributing factor. Environmental factors such as exercise may combine with a genetic preposition or unidentified genes can create a similar ACM phenotype. A clinical phenotype is determined by genetic and environmental factors, such as aerobic exercise, which can lead to earlier expression with ECG, structural or arrhythmic abnormalities. There is convincing evidence that exercise plays a key role in, sorry, is a key factor that is associated with a younger onset, with a younger age of onset, more severe phenotypes, and a higher frequency of ventricular arrhythmias and gene elusive AC ARVC patients. Exercise intensity rather than duration is strongly linked to adverse prognosis. Individuals with desmomonal variants, such as PKD2, or non-desmomonal gene variants, the majority are associated with gene with disease progression and development of biventricular or isolated left ventricular dysfunction with intense exercise. For example, if we look at patient presenting, in a Swiss study, patients with biventricular involvement at baseline harbored significantly more desmoplakin or multiple gene variants. Whereas a patient with new onset left ventricular involvement at follow-up frequently showed a non-desmonal variance. Patients engaging in repetitive sports more often showed left ventricular involvement during follow-up. Great. So in all the cases of ACM you've reported on, the patients were young and cardiac ultrasound played an important part in identifying the condition and providing opportunity for intervention. As cardiac sonographers, we have a responsibility to do the best to provide accurate diagnostic information, as it will have an impact on the life of the athlete. Thanks so much, Richard, for your time today. Uh, thank you, Rebecca. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ASA podcast. Head to the show notes or the ASA website to find more information, resources and CPD activities.